Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Acts chapter 5. Take your paper copy of the scriptures or your electronic copy of the scriptures and let's look at it together. Acts chapter 5. Some background here. The apostles have been uh, arrested. They've been specifically told, do not preach in the name of Jesus. The apostles have said to their authorities, we will not obey you in this matter. We will obey God, who has specifically told us to preach in the name of Jesus Christ, and that we will do. And that did not sit too well with the religious leaders. And so we're going to pick up the reading in Acts chapter 5, verse 33. Let's all stand together as we read the scriptures this morning. Acts 5, 33. So in verse 32, Peter said, we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Verse 33, when they heard this, the religious council, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. He said to them, men of Israel, Take care of what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it's of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. They took his advice. And when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them to not speak in the name of Jesus And let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Powerful text, is it not? You read through that and you understand that, man, they're in some difficult circumstances and they're preaching the word and they're being told not to preach the word. And they said, we're going to preach the word. And they're told, we're going to kill you. And they said, we're still going to preach the word. We're going to beat you. We're still going to preach the word. And in all these things, God is glorified and his work moves forward. And we recognize, as the song goes, God is in the story. God is in the details. Every story, every detail, God's there. And the details and the story of your life, God is there. 
There's so many times in life that we can sometimes get confused with what exactly is God doing? And sometimes in our arrogance, we can sometimes think that we know we've got all figured out all that God is doing down to the minute detail. That is not the case. God in the Old Testament was so clear when he told us in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We've all gone through moments in our lives where we've gone through something difficult. Sometimes, probably for many of us, wondering, God, what in the world are you doing? Some of you this week... I've asked that question, God, what in the world is going on? What are you doing? What's happening in my life? Like when you weren't sure why things at work weren't going well, only to realize that God was moving moving you to a different job. Like maybe when you had that random blood test, only to realize God revealed something that needed to be taken care of. God was in those details. Like when a relationship ended, only to open the door to new beginnings. God is in those details. He's in that story. And in all these things that God moves us into and prepares us for, he's allowing us to trust him more and to grow in all these things. In this text, we get a glimpse of what God is doing behind the scenes and how he's using unique circumstances and unique people to accomplish his will. There's some great life lessons for us to learn. And I think there's four truths that we can take from the passage today. Truth uh, number one that you see coming up on the screen here. Sorry, let me turn that on. Help can come from unexpected faces. Movements can happen from strange places. Joy comes from trials of many kinds. Fruit is the result when we leave fear behind. Help can come from unexpected faces. Faces, unexpected faces. An unexpected voice arises in this text that I'm sure the apostles were not expecting. Gamaliel. And Gamaliel comes on the scene and Gamaliel steps up at this council and these guys are ready to kill these guys. And Gamaliel hits the brakes. He's like, whoa, guys, you might not want to do this. Luke tells us that Gamaliel was a Pharisee on the council, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people. Acts 5.34 tells us that. The Jewish Talmud says this about Gamaliel. He says this, when the elder Rabin Gamaliel died, the honor of Torah disappeared. Purity and self-discipline died when Gamaliel died. Wow, this guy was highly respected. This is in the Jewish Talmud. You can go online and read it for yourself. In ancient Judaism, Gamaliel was a trusted name and a trusted man. And it's interesting that in this moment, God uses Gamaliel to just slow things down, to slow down the rage of the Israel council because they wanted to put the apostles to to death. God uses that to keep the evangelism momentum moving forward, which God used Gamaliel in that moment. 
Don't give Gamaliel too much credit here. Gamaliel knew the Old Testament scriptures probably better than anyone. Gamaliel knew the prophecies concerning the Messiah. He likely even knew the details of the 70th week of Daniel, which predicted when the Messiah was going to come. He knew this stuff, and yet he consistently refused to obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, likely because of his pride. And yet God used this unexpected voice. Not uncommon for God to do that. I mean, look throughout scripture. King Nebuchadnezzar was used to judge the nation of Israel. Unlikely. Judas was used to fulfill prophecy concerning the betrayal of Christ. Unlikely. The Jews and the Romans crucified our Lord, allowing God to redeem his people. Unlikely. God can use any person in any way, in any circumstance, to accomplish his sovereign plan. Even people that you and I might look at and say, that dude's pretty evil. Could be. Could be a pretty evil dude. But God could use that person to accomplish his will. Can I share with you an additional insight related to Gamaliel? When Paul is arrested in the Jerusalem temple, way later in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 22, and wants to establish credibility with the Jews. This is what he says in Acts 23. Look at the screen. Paul says this. This is Paul's after, after he's trusted Christ, he's saved. Um, he's now one of the leaders in the Christian church. He's establishing credibility with the Jews. He says this, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, and, but brought up in this city. Look at the screen educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers being zealous for God as all of you are this day you know who the mentor in the scriptures of the apostle Paul was Gamaliel so quite possibly right here in in Acts chapter 5, Luke's just given us a little bit of um, foreshadowing. What's about to come? He he knows Paul's coming. And maybe he's just sharing a little bit of backstory here. Hey, can I tell you about the dude that had a major influence in Paul's life? Gamaliel, though not a disciple of Christ, was very instrumental in the theology of the soon-to-be greatest theologian who would ever live. but unexpected, unexpected. So Luke's inclusion of Gamaliel, who's not a believer, but a great reminder of how we should look at people. It frees us from being so quick to put people in boxes, condemning them and being judge, jury and executioner on X person. It resigns us to the fact that when it comes to the people that God has put in our lives, whether it's a governor, whether it's a president, whether it's our neighbor, when it comes to the people in our lives, there is purpose. And oftentimes we can pretty arrogantly think that we know what the purpose is. Shame on us. Only God knows in most of these situations. Help can come from unexpected faces. But also, 
Movements can happen from strange places. Movements can happen from strange places. If you're taking notes, write that down. That's the second big point, second big idea. Movements can happen from strange places. Interesting, here we are in Acts 5. Some pretty major things have already happened at this point in the church with the death of the Messiah, the resurrection of the Messiah, the appearing of the Messiah over the course of 40 days, the ascension of the Messiah, the the birth of the church in Acts 2 with Pentecost. A lot of things have happened. Peter's sermon in Acts 2 and Acts 3, the presentation of the kingdom in Acts 3. Um, Many things were happening in this moment in the the book of, of Acts. But what's interesting is I don't know that we can fully understand really the cataclysmic nature of what's happening right now in God's program. You know, we've got the benefit of, what, 2,000 years of church history to look back and, and, and see kind of the scope of what God was doing right back from the Garden of Eden. They're living in it right in the moment. They're navigating right in the moment all the things that God is doing. And this shift that happened from fifteen to 2,000 years of a Jewish way of life of doing things And now a lot of that was shifting and changing, not all at once, but pretty quick. The sacrifices, the temple, the high priestly order, the authority of the religious leaders, all this was shifting and changing. This was all new. This was all different. This was, imagine you're a religious leader and many of them rejected Christ Although John tells us many of them trusted Christ. Many of these guys denied Christ. Didn't set a great example that way. But they're in the midst of trying to navigate their way through this. They're encountering this whole new program and trying to make sense of it. It certainly would have seemed like a movement from a strange place. Movements from unlikely places and strange places, not necessarily uncommon for God to do. How did God get the gospel to Nineveh? He used a big fish. Strange place. How did God bring the Messiah into the world? He used a virgin. How did God feed the Israelites? Food from the sky. And now he's using who? Fishermen to herald the greatest message ever revealed to men. Movements can happen from strange places. And what was difficult, as Phil was sharing with us in the, in the text from last week, what was difficult was for these religious leaders to get past their pride, to get past their jealousy, and accept the fact that God was moving and working in a unique way that they had never experienced before. They had to go over their pride. Gamaliel, when he's talking in the text here about these two historical incidents that happened where there were two insurrections, he's trying to help this Jewish council give some context as to what might be happening here with these, this new Jewish uprising. And he's talking about these two incidents that were insurrections and they were attempt by revolutionaries to overthrow the government. And it's like Gamaliel is reminding them, hey guys, there have been uprisings in the past. Things have happened in the past 
And likely in the minds of these Jewish leaders, this is just another one. You got a religious figure, you got followers that are on his program, and they're probably trying to overthrow Rome. That could be what they were trying to do, what they thought. The stated goal of Christ was not to overthrow the Roman kingdom. He specifically said that when he was talking to Pilate. So in Gamaliel's mind, past insurrections, what's happening now is apples to apples. But in reality, it had nothing to do with political insurrection. In the midst of that, Gamaliel appeals to the council with the sovereignty of God. And this is what he says. You see on the screen, Acts 5, 38 to 40. So in the present case, after he was just talking about the two examples of the insurrections, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found yourself opposing God. So they took his advice. Interesting, in Gamaliel's mind, whether or not this was a movement of God would be determined by one thing. Time. Time. Jesus had a similar belief when he talked about authentic decisions. When Jesus is explaining the purpose of the parables in Matthew chapter 13, and he talks about four soils and four responses to the word, when the word is given out and how there are four different types of soil and how they respond to the word. Jesus was very clear with how you can know the authenticity of the person and the soil. And the common denominator of that authenticity was one thing. Time. The common denominator of what Jesus said for an indication of authenticity. Time. What happens oftentimes with possible movements of God is that Christians immediately become, and I've been there, I've done this, we become the sole judges of authenticity. Like, my teen made a decision for Christ at snow camp. But Judgy Christian says, oh, I'm sure that was just emotional. Or, my college daughter went on a missions trip. Now she wants to drop out of law school and become a missionary. Judgy Christian says, oh, I'm sure she'll come to her senses. Mm. Heard some of these things. Or that revival in Kentucky that spread to other places, that was really a movement of God. Judgy Christian, oh, that wasn't really that authentic. We've all been guilty of these things. We've all been judgy Christian. Or maybe just me. When it comes to the possibility of God working, Christian brothers and sisters, give it some time. Give it some time. You don't know. 
It's like when we try to become the judges of someone's authenticity of their salvation message, of their, of their salvation decision, and we ask ourselves, well, was that decision authentic? Don't know. But we will know over time. Over time. Help can come from unexpected faces. Movements can happen from strange places. But also, joy comes from trials of many kinds. Joy comes from trials of many kinds. Look at your Bibles again at Acts 5.40. They took his advice in verse 39. They took Gamaliel's advice in verse 39. Verse 40, when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus And they let him go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They didn't die here at this moment, but they were beaten. And Jesus told them to be ready for this, to expect this. And Jesus told them that this would be honorable. Jesus said this in the Sermon on the Mount as he's wrapping up the Beatitudes. Jesus said this in Matthew 5. You don't need to turn there. I'll just read it for you. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely in my accounts. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When it comes to persecution, church, Jesus said, expect it. And when the persecution starts to come here in North America... And boy, it feels like it's coming. Jesus said, expect it. Be ready for it. For the Christian, struggle over time with joy is a paradox that is deeply perplexing for the unbelieving world. But look at the screen. Struggle plus time equaling joy does not add up in the unsaved mind. It is fuzzy math, bad math in the unsaved mind. But for the believer, this is good math. This is good math. The unsaved world should see that as you step out in your faith and you take some shots, over time, they see your joy and it causes amazement. That even though you're taking shots for Jesus, you're responding in a Holy Spirit-filled way. You might be sitting here thinking, well, I thought the Christian life was all about rainbows and gumdrops. Nope, it's not. Contrary to what some dudes on the TV will tell you, it's not all about rainbows and gumdrops. Jesus said this, John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. Wow, so I guess we're doomed to trouble. Kind of stinks. Jesus wasn't quite done, was he? Jesus said this, but take heart. I have overcome the world. 
Yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be rough. There's going to be challenges in this world, but I got good news. I've overcome the world system. And eventually this whole world will bow to me, the Messiah. And the disciples received trouble. But their hearts in the midst of those lashing, their hearts were stirred as they're being whipped for Jesus. Their hearts are stirred. Why? Because they love beatings? No, because they serve the one that they knew had overcome the world. They knew what was coming. The scripture's so clear. Jesus has the last word. Always. Church, listen. It is not possible for you to be outward for Christ vocally in your actions and the things that you're saying and not receive some type at some point of trial for it. It's just not possible. 2 Timothy 3.12 says that. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. When you take a stand for Christ... You will be insulted for it. Well, I'm not being insulted. What might that be telling you? I'm not receiving any persecution at work. What might that be telling you? Help can come from unexpected faces. Movements can happen from strange places. Joy comes from trials of many kinds. But fruit is the result when we leave fear behind. Fruit is the result when we leave fear behind. Look at Acts 5.42. Look at Acts 5.42. And every day, this is after they were just beaten. This is after they're rejoicing. What's the result of the beatings and the rejoicing? 5.42. Every day in the temple and from house to house, They did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Fruit is the result when we leave fear behind. God took the pain of their life, coupled with their witness for Christ, and grew the work. And grew the work. Church, what we're saying here based on Acts 5 is this, is that When you face persecution for the Lord and you handle it in a God-honoring way, fruit is the result. And God takes those little seeds of faith and uses them powerfully for his glory. Their faith in Christ overcame their fear. It resulted in Jesus being glorified. One of my favorite quotes on fear 
is what you're about to see on the screen. Fear knocked on the door. Faith answered. And no one was there. Fear knocked on the door. Faith answered. And no one was there. Brothers and sisters, when you turn your fear over to God and you trust him by faith, good fruit is always the result. Fruit that results in things like trusting God more, stepping out more, becoming bolder in your witness for Christ. As we realize God is in the story. God is in your details. We can leave fear behind and trust him more and more. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.